0: Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in Los Angeles, where the sun is shining just like it is back in Milwaukee. There's there's no doubt, but Bucks are out here for a few days here during the preseason, and I am with the new head coach of the Bucks, Adrian Griffin. Adrian, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Adrian? I'm great, and this is some history here. This is the first Adrian I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> on the pod, it is a small fraternity. Small, very small. Home room when you're young and they don't know you at the school yet. And they say your name. They're looking up. They're expecting to see a girl, aren't they?
1: Mine was a little different because I was raised in and two things. <laughs> well, this was when Rocky was really popular. Oh. So you know where I'm going. Oh, I know where you're stuff. going. You know everyone acts like. They invented it, it was the first time I ever heard it. <laughs> they always act like yeah. you've never heard it before. Right. So, you're
0: Adrian! <laughs> and it never ends. Right. I'm 54 years old, that movie came out when I was 10? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember walking out of the movie theater with my friends, and them running in circles around me, yelling <laughs> it, and it hasn't it hasn't stopped.
1: And I had to d- double whammy because I'm from Kansas, and this is when Wizard of Oz came out. So when I went away to college, everyone said you're not in Kansas anymore. You know, <laughs> yo Adrian, and you're, yo not, Adrian, in you're not in Kansas anymore. And
0: it's Jersey, yeah. where it's they love to do the yoke. Yo. I've lived in Jersey yo. now for absolutely. It's it really is amazing, and and people mean well with it, and it's funny. But like, there's just some days where you just go, all right, I get right. it, I get it. <laughs> I know the movie's been out. There's been right. nine of them, right? Um, but listen, this has been a remarkable several months, right, Adrian, going from getting the job after years of preparing and interviewing and, you know, you get closer and you break through and, listen, you always hope when you become a head coach, it's one thing to get a job. It's another thing to have a chance to have success. And you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of coaches who get opportunities who never really had an opportunity at it, right? It just wasn't built to win. And, I imagine when you think of the patience and you get close and you wonder, is it ever going to happen for me? You know, you'll take the opportunity that comes, but I imagine as you look back, you think about, and people say to you, and it's just a cliche and what does it mean? Hey, it happens for a reason, Mm -hmm. something it did with you, right? Like the opportunity in maybe coming up short, some other places, it opened the door for a chance to day one, have a chance at, uh, to coach a championship contender
1: definitely very fortunate to be in the position uh, that i'm in what most people don't know this is my fourteenth uh that was my fourteenth interview and a lot of nos so definitely want to thank you uh say a thank you to our ownership west jimmy d uh jamie they they were terrific and then john just uh giving me an opportunity um to to coach this team, but it was been a long haul. A lot of people don't know i've been interviewing since maybe 20 2012 as far as head coach interviews so it's been a long time coming
0: you know when i was younger and i would interview for jobs and i wouldn't get them the one thing i always felt about interviewing was when you were preparing for an interview it sort of cr- it forced you to crystallize your thinking yeah. about what was really important and you go i didn't get that job but it forced
1: me to zero in on things, and I'm better for having gone through it. Did it feel the same for you? Absolutely. Uh, It was very devastating at times, especially when I was uh, very younger, uh, coach interviewing. Uh, It was hard not to take it personal, but then you kind of grow and you learn, like, I could use this opportunity to get better and hone my craft and get back to the drawing board. So after every interview, I, I would always seek out feedback and a lot of it was extremely helpful and, and constructive, and I would just take it and try to uh, better myself as a coach. and uh, And then, you know, be faithful where you are. You know, sometimes you just gotta grind it out. And, and whatever head coach I was under, I try to do my best, uh, be prepared as, as as possible. But it all all worked out in the end. What was interesting about
0: the Bucks process? And it's not other coaches in other places where there's a, a star player, franchise player. They communicate with a coach who's interviewing. I don't think talking to Giannis was necessarily the first time you probably talked to a player when you're interviewing for a job. But the way it was described to me was how Giannis looked when he came in the room. He had, like a, he had notes and he had a pencil and he was sitting mm-hmm. like really – he was there to really probe.
1: He, he took it very seriously, Right. Very serious. And I think that was one of the things that I was extremely impressed with um, in my first uh, kind of one-on-one encounter with uh, Giannis. And that was my first time uh, meeting uh, a player, especially a player of his caliber. So I was very fortunate to be able to get in front of him, uh, listen to him. Uh, He was very passionate. He was very prepared. Like you said, he had a notebook, pen. And all of his questions were very – you know, thought provoking. Uh, and I could tell he took some time in uh generating those questions. And then on the other hand, I, I was able to um express my, you know, desire to be the head coach and I felt that our values really aligned and and I felt really good about when I about it when I left the room. Not just about the basketball part, but I just felt like Giannis was so genuine. He was so passionate about winning, passionate about doing things the right way. And I felt like we had Kendrick's spirit, spirits in that sense, you know, just doing things the right way, the way we treat people and the, the kind of culture that I wanted to build. So I, I thought we hit it off. So it was, it was definitely a great experience on my end to be able to get in front of him and, and, and kind of share my, my values and, and my heart as far as, you know, my aspirations of being a head coach.
0: As impressive as Giannis is, when you watch him from afar, you hear all the things, who people have been around him. But when you walk out of that interview and you walk out the door, do you say to yourself, God, I really want to coach this guy?
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, I felt that way before. Right, You know he, was, right. he you he's know one who is. Best, right? Right. He's one of the best players in the world. And uh, just having the opportunity to get in front of him. And then, you know, when it came kind of materialized and I got the job. But I was still a little bit in awe um, because, you know, I've been around a long time and I know that um, these opportunities don't come along a lot for, especially for first time head coaches. And so, and then getting Dame, it just gets better and better, but it, it's, it's been, you know, I blessed and I do, you know, my father was a minister, I grew up in church uh, I do believe that, you know, God exceeds our expectations sometime that we could just hang in there and not give up. And he certainly did in this uh, situation. You know, I, it, he's exceeded anything that I could have ever imagined as far as being a first-time head coach.
0: Where were you when John Horst, your GM, told you, hey, I think we're going to get this. Lillard trade done. I think this is going to happen. Do you remember where you were and what that, were you in the office with him when he closed on the deal?
1: No, John and I, you know, we were in constant communication. And I'm not sure where I was. I don't know if it was by phone or we were in person. But I do remember when he told me that, you know, we got a chance here. I was like, let's go. <laughs> I mean, the opportunity to, to be able to get someone with, with Dane's caliber. And and listen, like, I've, I've been traded twice in my career as a player, and it's tough. It's tough on the, the players. It's tough on the families. So my heart really went out to, to Drew and Grayson. I had to make those phone calls. It was one of the hardest phone calls that I've had to make, for sure, as a head coach. Um, and so I wish them the best. But we had a chance to, you know, that we felt we had a chance to get someone that was, you know, really special um, in Dame. So uh, it's it's been great, you know, as far as being able to have Giannis and Dame on the same team. I mean, that's as elite that you as high elite team that you can get.
0: You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 DIRECTV tv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Another day
1: is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Adrian, you, you mentioned your dad who was a preacher. He grew up in Wichita. Your mm-hmm. dad was a preacher. I believe he worked at Boeing. Yes. Was he the first... You know, part of being a head coach is developing your presence and your voice mm-hmm. and how you lead a group. Mm-hmm. Was he the first person that you were really influenced by in terms of how do you command a room, how do you lead? You'd see him do it on Sunday
1: for sure. I mean <laughs> he was uh certainly a great role model for myself and uh, growing up. He was very strict, but uh you know you appreciate it when you get older he was also a military man so you know we're you know five six seven years old we had to shine our shoes and he had to see his reflection and we had to make our beds and he would give us the quarter test you know so he would bounce a quarter on the bed and if it didn't bounce back and those sheets weren't tight he would take the entire bed mattress and all and and flip it over just like the military so he taught us a lot of different discipline about if you're going to do something you got to do it right the first time. And I really carried that on uh with me for uh my adult life, but you know, get, seeing him every uh Sunday getting up there speaking with with so much passion. Uh and you're right, he had great great voice, great presence, but he he also practiced what he preached, you know. We we would have to, there were many weekends he would tell us you know, get, go put your shoes on. We're going to mow this lady's house or we're going to do this for it. We're going to go paint this person's house. Um, he was always giving back. You know, we're mowing lawns. and uh, So he taught us a lot, you know, and even though he's he's gone, I, I, it's funny because I feel like the older I get, I'm, the more I'm turning into. <laughs> but uh, he's missed, but, you know, he he left us with some great values.
0: Adrian, when you think about your journey as a player, which was, you went to Seton Hall, and it speaks to having grown up with a dad who was a disciplinarian who had been in the military. It speaks to you being attracted to go playing for P.J. Carlissimo at Seton Hall, which was,
1: who was a tough coach, right? But but, (laughs) the irony in that, I had no idea he was a tough coach. Because away from the
0: court, (laughs) he is one of the most,
1: he's, he's
0: funny, he's charismatic, and then you get in the gym and you go, where's
1: the guy who right. recruited me, right? You know, I one of the funniest things is that growing up in Wichita, Kansas, we used to get a lot of the Big East games. I don't know why, but I grew up like watching some of, uh, you know, Seton Hall and Georgetown and Syracuse, you know, and I was just infatuated with that league. And my senior year, we won a state championship and whatnot, but I still wasn't heavily incru- recruited. Uh, Coming out of high school, there was just, uh, I was getting a lot of mid majors, but I always had the desire to play major D1 basketball. So, Seton Hall came in the picture the last minute. A couple players had kind of reneged and they were looking for some players. And one of the assistant coaches says, What about the kids from Kansas, Adrian Griffin? And and, you know, classic PJ style, like no (laughs) no kid from Kansas can play in the Big East, you know. and he came and recruited me and everything, and he sat down with my family, and uh, it was just really extremely nice. Just had a great presence about him, and, uh, you know, he was like, you know, Seton Hall's a Catholic institution. Your your son will be able to continue his, you know, spiritual growth and all and I'm like, man, I like this guy. <laughs> then the first day of practice, I threw the ball away. He was like, you. <laughs> <laughs> and no one ever talked to me like that before because, you know, my, like I said, my dad was a minister, so he never cursed. And my high school coach never yelled and never cursed. So that was the first time I had someone, like, really rip into me. And looking back, like, I needed that. You know, I, I needed that. And then by the time I got in the NBA, I was, you know, you got to have a little bit of uh, tough skin. It's it's tough. It's not easy um, to make it in the NBA or any any level. So having uh, P.J. really toughened me up. like, But I was in for a surprise. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, listen, I was from Kansas. I, had, I didn't know P.J.'s reputation on, on the court or anything like that. But, uh, like I said, it, it was the best thing that – you know, could happen to me. Sometimes we try to shield shield our kids and keep them from any adversity, but sometimes that's that's what you need to to go to the next level.
0: Yeah, and you played on a college team with guys who went – Arturis Karnishavis, who's the president of yep. the Chicago Bulls, Danny Hurley, who's now the national championship coach at UConn, and it was a great college team. Yeah. That is really – like I think people who are Seton Hall fans and it was – very distinctive group in the history. Terry DeHare, who was a lottery pick, mm-hmm. and Jerry Walker, who was a lot like you, kind of an undersized guy who just was super tough. productive, that were yeah. tough, and and still lives in Jersey City and has had a great career in that community. But when you start to look, and we were talking about this earlier, undrafted, and you go to there were two leagues then that the Continental Basketball Association, which was the precursor to the D League, G mm-hmm. League. And the United States Basketball League, which I would always try to be around in the summer when I worked in, I worked in Waterbury, Connecticut for four years. And the USBL played the summer. And I remember the Rhode Island team the first summer had Minute Bowl in Spud Webb. And all of their posters, I, sometimes we vacation in Rhode Island and there's a donut place that still has the original poster of they would pose Manute with Spud, the, right? And it was a summer pro league and mostly up and down the East Coast. But the CBA then was still, you know, you think of the coaches who went through there Phil Jackson, George Carl, and down, and players. Like it was, I mean, there were a lot of big time future NBA players, and then guys like you, when drafted, who are going to have to grind their way through it. And, you know, some guys think, hey, I can go there a year or two and I'm going to get to the NBA. It did not happen that quickly for right. you, right? It was, it's Atlantic City, which was summer, but the Connecticut pride, the Long Island surf, yeah. this f- fall winter, what was that like? What do you learn doing that? And are there p- parts
1: early on where you go, how long do I want to do this? Well, I remember I was in the Philippines and I got a call from the general manager, Tyler Jones, and he said, congrats, you've been You've been drafted in the CBA, and I had no clue what the CBA. You know, I, all I knew is I watched the NBA draft by myself at the end, and I went undrafted, and I was, you know, my father really encouraged me not to give up. So I thought, I man, I better go overseas and make some money. So I'm in the Philippines for two weeks. I get cut. So I called the 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 general manager back and said, is that CBA job still available? And he said, like, "Yes, yeah. so, you know, we're in Connecticut." He bought me a flight. I flew out there, and I had no idea uh, what I was embarking on. But it was three years of, you know, I appreciate those times because it was tough years. But you know, learn you learn a lot about yourself. You know, just being resilient and what it takes to really work. Because when you're young, you think you're working hard, but going to the CBA and it's so competitive back then. You know, it it really was a man's league. Like I I did four years of college. Most of those guys were like twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty-nine. Uh every guy that went to college used they were coming out with like four years under their belt, you know. Um so you were you were going against like strong <laughs> in physical individual individuals that played, you know, months or years in the NBA and they were going back and forth. So it was a very competitive league, and I remember, uh, you know, I would go try out for a couple teams every year and get cut, and I would call my dad, you know, the crying, and you know, just if you ever gotten cut, you know what, I, you know how I feel, it just hurts, you know. You go back to your hotel room, and I, you know, I call my dad, kind of whiny, and you know. And I'll say, hey, would you still love me if I didn't play basketball anymore? You know, I'm all in my feelings and stuff. And he would always say the same thing, son, don't give up. Don't give up on your dream. You know, he, he never talked to me about basketball, never. He never gave me one advice on basketball in all my years. The only thing that he would say was, how is your spiritual life? And he used to drive me crazy all the time. I would call him and complain all the time, you know, the coach this or this player that, and he would always say, son, how's your spiritual life? And I'm like, that don't have nothing to do with it, you know. I'm thinking to myself. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that, you know, he was on to something that um, he knew that if I was okay on the inside, you know, if my life was you – know, I had my priorities to shape and my outlook on life was, you know – with the proper lens, you know, the rest would take care of itself. The outside would take care of itself. And that's something I've try to I've tried to pass on to my kids, you know, just look in first, make sure you're okay, make sure you have your priorities right, make sure your thought life is correct, and the rest would take care of itself. And he was right, you know. And But it always uh, – uh, in all, you know, I was 26 when he passed away, but he – Never ever gave me advice on basketball, and uh, but he did give me the best advice, I believe, for life on and off the court.
0: 1999, you make the Celtics, Rick Patino mm-hmm. is the coach. Mm-hmm. How did you find out they were keeping you?
1: Well, that goes back to the CBA, the ABL, I mean, the USBL. I had to play all year round for like three years straight because back then, the CBA. Yeah, you know, just you just didn't earn enough, so I had to supplement my income. Somehow. What was
0: the what, you, what was the most money you made in the CBA?
1: Uh, I think three hundred a week. You know, so I was getting probably like a, thousand, a little over a thousand, and I think um, one year I was the MVP and I got bumped up. To
0: yeah, I you think you were 5, in '99. 000. You were MVP regular season yeah. MVP, finals yeah. MVP, yeah. and was one other. And I, I think oh. it was first-team defense, too. Yeah,
1: that's right. And and you won the championship. And we won the championship. A, yeah. So, I had to always play all year round, and we had a coach named Gerald Oliver who was assistant coach with the Connecticut Pride, great human being. But he used to drive up to Boston because the UConn team, the Yukon CBA team, was the only East Coast team. um in the CBA. So he used to drive up to Boston and meet with Rick Pitino all the time, say, hey, we got this kid named Adrian Griffin. He's not flashy, you know, he's not going to wow you with his athleticism, but he's a great kid. He's, you know, a hell of a ball player, you know, high character guy. He can help you guys. And Rick got tired of him <laughs> driving up there all the time. and said, okay, just bring him to Summer League. You know, Rick just finally relented and said, okay, he could try out for our summer league. And prior to that, I never made it past the mini camp of the summer league. I, I got cut every year. I, I never gone past the second or third day in summer league. And this time, I tried out, made the actually made the summer league team. So, we went out to Long Beach, California. The pyramid. The pyramid. You remember that. And we went 8-0, didn't lose a game. And I could – you know, I kind of noticed Rick Pitino was in the stands, and he was kind of coaching me from the stands. You know, shoot it. and Move it. Do this. And and I'm like, whatever he t- tells me to do, I'm going to do it. And then we flew back to Boston. We played in the um, Boston Summer League yep. with all the East Coast, you know, the Nets, the Knicks, and Philly. And we go 7-0. and We don't lose a game that, that summer. So, as I'm walking off the floor, the, you know, the buzzer goes off. I'm walking off the floor, and – I was feeling pretty good about myself. I, I was, I was literally thinking, you know, I'm gonna go overseas, try to make some money. I gave it a shot. You know, I did three years in the CBA, uh, Summerlee, I thought I was, I did a terrific job. It just didn't work out. You know, I was in a good. I was like, hey, you gave it a, a shot. Now it's time to move on. And so as I'm walking off the floor, literally, I'm walking off the floor. I'm still sweating, and I hear someone call my name. They go, Adrian. I turn around. It's the general manager, Chris Wallace, mm-hmm. of the Boston Celtics. And he's on the phone. He said, come here. He said, I got your agent on the phone. You know, we got a table set up in the back. I looked in the back. There was a table set up behind the basket. He said, we're going to offer you a two-year two, two year deal. Just talk to your agent. You know, let us know everything okay. So, I get on the phone with my agent. And I'm like, and this was Frank Catapano. Yeah. And, and – New England. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's – East Coast all day, you know, and – i'm like hey frank is, is this for real and he's like hang up that phone and <laughs> go sign that contract you know and literally i walked in the back of, of the gym and, and sat down and, and and signed my life on, on the dotted line or sign my name but you literally are signing your life in the nba it's, it's grueling you know it's it's all year profession but um, changed my life like that in the in uh, twinkle of eye. But I always tell people how God operates because if I didn't play all year round, I wouldn't have been ready. You know, I, I had to play three years straight all summer, you know, as many gigs I could get my hands on. But when you're in those leagues, guess who's, you're the man, you know, I, I was the one taking the last second shots, I was the one that had the ball in my hand, you know, it's a little gym somewhere up in <laughs> Sioux Falls, but, you know, you're you're the man, and I was honing my skills for three years, and then when summer league came down, I was just so in shape, because I'd just been playing all the time, not just physically, but mentally, so you never know, you know, what God is preparing in the background, you know, just, again, my my father was so instrumental, and Telling me not to give up because I did. There's, I would be, you know, reminiscing to say that I never felt that way. I, I did. I, I, I wanted to give up several times, but, you know, his encouragement, you know, just propelled me along. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful um, to have a father like him. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
0: Adrian, when in your playing career, or if at all in your playing career, did
1: you start to think I might like to coach someday? Honestly, I, did. I never thought about coaching. Um, but coaching, it was always, people will always tell me that. say, hey, you, you're going to make a good coach one day. Um, I just thought I was just a good teammate. <laughs> you know, I just always wanted to help people. Because um, I had, a teammate, um, man, what's his name, in college. Last name is Davis at Seton Hall. I just can't remember his name. I'm I'm so sorry. But he was an upperclassman, and I was a freshman. I, was, I kept screwing up. And he would take me under his wing, and even though I was competing for his spot, he would help me with, uh, you know, the system, with P.J.'s system. And, and I was taking his minutes. And that taught me a lot, you know, about doing the right thing, even though it may not benefit you. And I always remember him for, for that. And so when I started to playing and, and whatnot, my, like my last year with Chicago, I still had a lot – I felt I still had a lot in my my tank in 2008, but we were playing a lot of the younger guys. And instead of catching attitude and whatnot that I wasn't playing, I wanted to pay it forward like it happened for me. So I I just started working with the younger guys, um, just wanted to see them get better. And Scott Scowl saw me, you know, just being a professional, just, you know, being high character and whatnot, and he said, hey, whenever you retire, we'll have a job for you. And I didn't know what it was going to be as soon as it turned out. You know, the next season I was traded um, to Seattle, then traded to Milwaukee. He was let go of Chicago, and then he took the Milwaukee job, and I went all the way up into training camp. (laughs) I thought I made the roster. You know, it was going into my 10th year uh, in the NBA, and I thought it was such a great milestone. I went and bought me a watch and everything, thinking (laughs) I made it 10 years. And the cutoff date was, I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday, around 3 p.m. And he called my hotel phone around 2.59, and he said, hey, I I tried to fight for you. Couldn't make it happen, but why don't you join my staff? You know, it takes a couple days think about it. And uh, they were on, like, a two-game road trip. So I went back to Milwaukee. And then the team, and met up with the team when they got back in, in, in Milwaukee off the road trip and told them I'd like to join the staff. And I think it was one of the best decisions, you know, that I've made in my life. Adrian, when you go
0: two years with the Bucks, and then in Chicago with Tom Thibodeau with the mm-hmm. Bulls, and then you start, you get on that coaching track, Mm -hmm. And you you spent time talking with coaches. If you go to clinics, you go – did you start to keep pretty good notes about how you wanted – as you're picking up things through the
1: years? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have notes from my two years in Milwaukee with with, uh, Scott Skiles. And then I have five years with Tom. I kept all my notes. And then I did another year with Orlando with Scott Skiles. Kept all my notes two years with Billy Donovan, all my notes in five last five years. Then I, I just kind of upgraded to digital notes now. <laughs> but I still have no notebooks uh, full of just plays. And I always believe in, you have to learn the head coach's philosophy first before you learn, you try to formulate your own. So I try to learn their philosophy like the back of my hand.
0: When you look back, I'm always curious about this, when you look back at those notes years later and you think back to the frame of mind where you were in your career and your your own philosophies Mm -hmm. did you see any themes develop through the years of things that you were more curious about or things that you always found yourself going back to as you look back through the years and 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 the things you're taking on and the things that you're focusing on when they're when you're learning
1: i think the biggest takeaway outside of you know everyone knows the x and o's Uh, But the biggest thing was how, you know, I'm big on leadership, so I would just pay attention to how they would lead and why they said what they said. I thought it was so important. You know, you're dealing with people. The players are people, they're human beings, and our job as head coaches and as leaders is how do we get the best out of them. So I would just – a lot of times I will just watch how a coach carried himself Um, his presence, his tone, how he messaged the team in timeouts, how he messaged his team at halftime, how he dealt with adversity, how he dealt with conflict amongst the players, um, how he dealt with the the refs. So, like, I would just pay attention to all the little things because I knew that that was the difference. And it took me some time as an assistant coach to really understand that, though, because when I used to go into the interviews a lot, I thought it was all about the X and O's. And I would come in there with all my my playbook, my defense and offensive playbook, you know, and stack it on the table. And I'm like, look, 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 you know. But they know you can coach X and O's or you wouldn't be in a room. You know, they, they know that part. They want to know if you can lead a troop of guys, you know. Can you lead uh, the players on the floor? Can you get the best out of them? And so I, I worked hard with my communication skills, worked hard with my presence, because by nature I, I've always kind of been laid back. But just like in, as a player, when the lights come on, like I'm going to compete, I'm going to give it my all. I, I didn't speak much but uh, verbally, but I, I let my game do my talking. I was trying to be, you know, I know I was physical and tough, and um, that, that was kind of my DNA. And that's how I am as a coach. But I had to work on being more vocal, um, so I would take classes all the time, online, presentation classes, just find ways to get better because that's how I was as a player. You know, when I was in the CBA, I had strength shoes and strength vests and heavy rope and, you know, uh, shakes were not popular back then, and, and I was one of the first guys doing the protein shakes in the CBA, and they would make fun of me and stuff. and. But I always, you know, was open to finding ways to to get better. And I take that same approach with coaching. Like, how can I get better? You know, do I need to go to a clinic? Do I need to, you know, watch uh, online interviews? And do I need to take a class? I went back to school. and got my uh, degree. And so I'm always looking for ways to better myself as a coach. And and that's just – I think again, my dad put that in me when I was little. That there's no excuses, you know. When when we were little, we didn't have much money, but my dad said, "Hey, uh, we going to pick up cans, and we would go." You know, back then, picking yep. cans was popular. Five cents five a cents can. Five cents a can, and yep. we picked up cans and we mowed lawns. And he would say, "Go up there and knock on the door and ask them if you want they want their their lawn mowed." So he taught us that there's no excuses, like. You you got to work yourself out of it, um, and that's kind of my approach, you know, to life is just the, the answer is in the work, you you just got to be willing to do it. I worked one summer job with my dad.
0: He worked in a factory, and when he retired from there, he would do part-time jobs around. But one summer when I was, he was cutting, he cut grass in the cemeteries yeah. all over town, and so I would, he got got me a job from, like, seven. It's the only job he ever got me. It was one I needed. <laughs> it was seven to one for me, I think it was. And it was cutting. Um, you would move cemetery to cemetery, and by the time you got to the last cemetery, the grass was grown in the first one. But wow. you would go to the old, um, the older cemeteries where the tombstones were, like, brittle. With the mower, like, if you pushed up too close to yeah. get the grass, you would knock – The stone over, and I'd go home thinking that, like, I had stirred some (laughs) ghost that these people were going to come back at me. But those were the jobs. Like, those were the, you know, absolutely. It's like, I think I'm going to go to college. I don't think I can, (laughs) I can't be my dad. I can't do this every day. He's way tougher. um, I always say our parents
1: worked, you know, they had work work.
0: Oh, he had real jobs. Yeah. And, but you go through, Adrian, the guys you, coached under and played under mm-hmm. we talked about pj and we talked about his style PJ's style was also conducive to the time and pj probably would coach differently if he coached in college now he'd probably have to they all it evolved but scott skiles tom thibodeau it's a different style those it's it's your disposition is different. And I wonder as you went through and you take things from everybody and there's things you learn, Mm -hmm. but there are also things where you go, that's not who I am. And I can't coach like they do. I might not yell as much. What was that like as an assistant when you said you're trying to find your voice and to go, because the one thing I've always heard about you is you communicate, 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 build relationships. And, and I know you've done that You've worked on that with all your guys, but with Giannis since you've been here. And I think that's something Giannis really wanted. He wants that relationship that was important. What was that like as a coach going, this is who I'm coaching with and their style's different than how I might want to do it, to get to a place where you're like, hey, i got to be me.
1: For sure. I think it's important to be yourself because one of the players, you know, they, they see past it. So if, if you're trying to be someone else – Um, they'll call you out on it. But I think – and you're right. Growing up, I think it was a different era. And I joke about P.J. all the time, but he was a phenomenal coach. Um, I felt extremely prepared by the time I got to the pros and a lot of stuff that we were working on in the league. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to that in college by P.J. So. Um, but it, it, it's a diff- it was a different era, a different style, and, and it's a little different now. I think relationships are so important. But, again, like I've been around some really strong, you know, expressive coaches. You know, I played Scott Skiles, Tom Thibodeau, Nick Nurse, you know. It wasn't until I got with Billy Donovan, actually, that I realized that you can, you know, you can be who you are um as far as coaching because sometimes in coaching you think you have to yell you think you have to scream and and Billy had a different um coaching style but he was equally effective you know he's a great communicator and I remember just studying him at times like man this guy you know I sometimes I would go up to Billy and say man you gotta yell at them you gotta go off on them and he would I don't know how he did it, but it, it it was masterful. Like he could communicate like no other. Like as far as it never raised his voice, never never cursing at the players, and that was different for me because just the era that I grew up in, and that was the first time I kind of had that, you know, aha moment that man, just you can this can be done. You know, I I I I don't think Tony does any, but um be mad if I shared this. With you, But, you know, I reached out to him and I said, Tony, it's like you and I have some of the same values and kind of the same personality. And so I, I wanted to know, how, how did you do it? You know, like, uh, you know, in sports it's, you, it's always that kind of, kind of taboo as far as, you know, being aggressive and yelling and going off on your team. And he said, listen, you don't have to do that. You know, it can be done. He said, when, when I took over as a head coach, you know, the people were saying that it will never work. You know, you got to yell, you got to scream, you got to get on them. And he said the, his first meeting with his team, he said, hey, if you, if, if you want me to yell and cuss you out, this may not be the place for you. And he said he never had a problem with it. So it was reassuring um, to, to speak with him. And, uh, you know, there's not one right way or wrong way. It just you have to be true to who you are. And for me, you know, I, I love to inspire. loving love to motivate. I, you know, I think relationships are important because, you know, I played this game. I know how it feels to be. I've started. I've been on the bench. I've been buried on the bench. You know, I've been traded. Everything, you know, I've been played in the finals. I've been knocked out in the first round. You know, I've, I've sent home without going to the playoffs, period. I, I've been through everything almost as far as uh, a player – as it concerns, uh, you know, playing in the NBA. And I keep try to keep that in mind when I'm dealing with the players, you know, that they, they're human beings. Um, but you build a relationship so you can tell them the truth, you know, and some, some coaches, they, they take that too far as well, you know, as, as far as building a relationship and you gotta, you can't be afraid of making them upset or getting them upset. But if, if you, the relationship is there, then they know it's coming from a good place. And, they, and every player, they know the truth. Yeah, I, I remember when I was with Don Nelson and I wasn't playing well, and he called me in his office and he says, you know, we're going to put you back then with the IR, and you go on the IR, you can be in there for weeks, you know. I didn't want to go on the IR, so he said, hey, I'm going to put you on the injury reserve. You're not playing well, you know, you're not sharp. So, just go on the IR for, you know, a couple of weeks. And and, uh, and I was like, but I don't know my role. <laughs> and he started laughing. <laughs> he, he laughed in my face. I was like, I don't know my role. Then I, I knew my role. Of course I knew my role. <laughs> it was to defend and uh, do all the dirty work. And if I I can get an open 15-footer, shoot it, get on the offensive boards and be a good teammate and good locker room. I knew my role. Uh, and then when I got home, I just laughed because I did. You know, players know their role, even though they say they, that they don't. They just may be tired of that yeah, role. Yeah, they may not right. like the yeah. role that they're in. But it's our job as coaches to tell them the truth as we see it. But I think the relationship part is – it is more important now um, than, than it was 30 years ago. A couple of moments I want to ask you about
0: as a player. 5 06, mm-hmm. you're in Dallas – you're in a huddle with Avery Johnson, who's a young coach. Something happened in a huddle that stayed with you and probably will shape maybe about how you go about it as a young head coach. What, what was that?
1: We're talking about the same thing. We were in a huddle, and Avery Johnson turns to us and says, Hey, I don't know all the answers, but the answers are in this huddle, and we're in this together. And that was the first time that I've ever heard a coach say he didn't know the answers. And – you know, if you know Avery, he he was just so charismatic. Um, he was such a, a, you know, great people's coach, you know. He was the coach of the people. He, he really cared about us as players. And he would get on us, you know. They didn't call him little general for nothing. You know, he would, he would get on us. But I remember, you know, he, he did shape a lot of my, I guess, approach and philosophy on how to deal with, Players because he was a former player, now turned, you know, head coach. And I played with Avery in the early 2000s, and now he was uh, my head coach. And I remember after a game, I was driving home, and I was almost home, and my phone ring rings, and it's Avery. He said what, he just called me Griffy. What you doing, Griffey? <laughs> and I said I'm just almost home. He said, man, turn around, turn turn your car around right now. Meet me at this restaurant, you know, and went to the restaurant and brought my family and fed us. And, um, you know, it, he showed me what it was, you know, what's it like to really build relationship with players. And for him, you know, he could have chosen anybody. All the, you know, we had Dirk Nowinski and Jerry Stackhouse and Jason Terry. And that night he chose me to have dinner with. And, and that, that meant a lot to me. And so um, he really shaped my my views on, you know the impact that coaches can have on their players, and and in return, you know nobody wanted to let Avery down. We, you know, he challenged us, but we we played extremely hard for us, he uh, for him, and he was the one from day one saying that we can win a championship. And I think uh, if it wasn't for his faith and his conviction, there's no way we we go to the finals. You know, he he re- I think he was instrumental in in Dirk's development because, you know, he he. He had this belief system you know that we can win and it started to infiltrate all through our locker room and we started to believe it ourselves so you know the Avery uh, taught me a lot you know about the impact of a coach. Adrian this group that you'll coach now and you're just getting
0: to know them and the group changed not that long ago when Damian Lillard comes in and course, Drew Holiday goes out. Grayson Allen goes out. But it's a veteran team, and you've got guys who've won at the highest level. You've got guys like David Lillard who are determined to be a part of that. Uh, you've been around all different kinds of teams as a coach. You were in. You won a championship in Toronto with a team that was ready to win. Kawhi came, and you guys got over the top. And what is it like to be around? There's listen. There's urgency everywhere in the NBA. But this is, you know, your, star, your, your best players in his twenties. But the rest of the group, they're in the prime, or they're, you know, from Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton, and of course Damian. But this is a group that has been through it and understands the the, the challenge ahead. Uh, as a coach, I guess it's not just the talent you have, but kind of where you have guys in their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes a big difference. It's not the young guys trying to figure out, am I going to get my max deal? Do I need to put stats up or do I need to contribute to winning? This group kind of – that a lot of that's cemented with them, isn't it? About This is about sure.
1: winning. I think for me coming into this situation, it, it is unique because the foundation – uh, was always, already said. I mean, this is first-class organization. I think John and, and again, the entire ownership, the culture that they've created and the winning culture. Um, it just it was something when when I got the job. I wasn't trying to rebuild or uproot or change too much. I mean, if, if it's not uh, broke, you know, don't fix it in a sense. But I did see that you know, how can we build upon a strong foundation? that's already intact and that that has been my goal. And the answer to that is 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 very simple. It's it's always in the work. You know, I don't know any other way to to work and to grind. And and when you got a talented team, you know, like this, the expectations are gonna come along with it. But expectations alone, you know, won't get the job done. We we have to execute every day. We have to you know my approach is very simple. You know attention to detail, doing the the little things. Every time you you walk in the gym, we got to make every rep count. Um, we got to be present. You know, you know I talk to them like you know I have a son in in the NBA, and I you know I tell him the hard truths, and I tell my team, you know if if, if uh, you know we want to win a championship, this is what it takes. I've been in the NBA for 25 years. You know. We can't have complaining, we can't have excuses. We got to be mindful when we come in the gym as far as uh, attacking whatever task is in front of us. And we got to be great teammates. We got to be coachable, you know, and I got to be able to coach the team um, through my best players. And they've been, you know, they've totally bought in and they got to take feedback. They got to concentrate one through 15 or one through 18. And it's, it's, there's no secret to to winning um you just have to be willing to do it are you are you willing to do it and that's uh that's and so far yes they they've been so cooperative and our, our practice are extremely competitive and um we're just looking to get better every day adrian this was uh
0: this is a lot of fun i'm i'm happy to get to do this with you as a head coach we talked about this the last few years and um you know to to get this kind of an opportunity with this group is it's funny people talk about pressure like to me like pressure is getting a team <laughs> that doesn't have enough talent to win with that's this is opportunity
1: right this is opportunity it, it definitely is uh, you know i'm I'm so grateful for the opportunity um, you don't have time to wonder if you fail like that's just why why torture yourself you know. I'll, I believe like what if we succeed what if I succeed what if the team succeeds why think what if we fail that's just wasted you know don't waste your energy on the the negativity you know if I truly believe God put me in this position uh, part of all of us here and and but also keep in mind that this it's not about me it's not about one person. You know, it's about the entire city, the entire organization. It's about the players and doing right by them. And that's why I feel confident because, you know, I've had a lot of great mentors in my life. And you know, I mean, look at the coaches that I play for. You know, I play for Rick Pitino, Don Nelson, Scott Skiles, Avery Johnson, um, Jeff Van Gundy, P.J. Carlesimo. I coach with uh, Billy Don- Donovan, Scott Skiles, Tom Thibodeau. Nick Nurse, man, I'm truly blessed. You know, I've taken something from all of them. And that's why I feel prepared, not because I know it all, it's just because I've just had great leaders in my life. So, and then I have a really good staff, extremely, you know, I don't want to forget about them. They, they've they been awesome. Um, you you win with your staff and, and, you know, every head coach, you know, a lot of times we get the credit, but your, your assistant coach are the ones grinding. And, you know, I've been assistant coach for 15 years, so I, I really value my staff and I, I value their contributions. And I've had coaches, you know, if it wasn't for Nick Nurse and Scott, Scott Scowls giving me my first job and, and then promoted, getting promoted with uh, Tom Thibodeau and, you know, Nurse. And Nurse was phenomenal for my growth. He let me coach a couple of games, of, you know, every season. A couple of practices. He wanted me to get some head coach experience. He always gave me a ton of responsibility. And the same with Billy Donovan. You know, I would go in there say, hey, Billy, this is my scout. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about doing this. He's like, go with it. Run with it. You know, he was awesome. I, all, I'm just fortunate. So, it's not me up here. It's really a collaboration of some great mentors and leaders that poured into me. So, yeah, it's it's been great, you know. But it's just the beginning. Yeah. Griff, thank you yep. for doing this. Thank you for taking the time out. I appreciate you, Ed. woes And I appreciate all your support over the years. And all your texts saying, hey, hang in there. Don't give up. Your time is coming. Yeah, here it is. Yep. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>